This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Considering an appropriate response for this chemical weapons attack, which violates all previous UN resolutions, violates international norms, and, and long held agreements between parties, including the Syrian regime, uh, the Russian government, and all other members of the UN Security Council, it's a serious matter. It requires a serious response. That is U.S. Secretary of State Rex Tillerson, that this requires an appropriate response, and that is exactly what they are considering. Uh, Here's one more from uh, Secretary of State Tillerson in terms of their belief that there is no doubt that Assad is responsible for this attack. Area with the chemical weapons attack uh, here in the past day uh, have just, I think, horrified all of us and uh, brought to the front pages and to our television screens as well uh, the tragedy that is part of the Syrian conflict. Uh, there is no doubt in our minds uh, and the information we have supports that Syria the Syria regime under the leadership of uh, President Bashar al-Assad are responsible for this attack. And I I think further it is very important that the Russian government consider carefully their continued support of the Assad regime. All right, so this is interesting. By the way, NBC News was reporting earlier today as well that uh, the U.S. military saw on radar the Syrian aircraft that dropped those chemical weapons and observed them dropping the bombs. So the evidence clearly pointing in that direction. And it is an interesting that the U.S. President Donald Trump has gone from uh, someone prepared to leave Assad in place and work alongside Russia. And how this week has really changed his view on that situation. Joining us on the line, Terry Glavin, uh, author, journalist, uh, columnist for the Ottawa Citizen and National Post, and has uh, quite a piece this week on what this all means. Terry, thanks for joining us here. Hi, how you doing, Rob? Uh, I'm doing well. And look, sadly, we've talked about this before, and we've talked about how nothing changes. Uh, does this seem any different to you this time? Yeah, this seems really different. Why so? This seems, this seems really different. Well, I mean, I'm just looking back on six years of um, genocide, essentially, um, and six years of an Obama presidency um, in which he would always use the passive tense in his sentence, you know, Assad must go something, you know, this kind of thing. Never I'm going to remove Assad. And now we have uh, Trump saying, wow, I was wrong. I was wrong about this guy. I was wrong about Syria. And we're going to mobilize an international coalition and we are going to do dot, 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 something. Uh, this is the most encouraging thing I've heard, uh, the most encouraging news I've heard in the last six years. So whether it results in anything, you know, you never know. Trump is kind of a weirdo. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> And, uh, you know, we have to to really get our minds around this. I think it would be useful to think of Syria in, the, in its proper context. Syria is basically, Syria in 2017 is Afghanistan in 1994, 1995. It's ruined. 
it's gone. There's no such thing as Syria anymore. It is a howling wilderness of crazies and people driven mad by agony and pain. And uh, it's just, it, I mean, you know, it's a fiction. It's no, there's no such country as Syria anymore. So the, the question I have is, now that the international community has spent six years engaging in these ceremonies of shame and ritualized expressions of horror and one UN Security Council resolution after another, I think it's seven that have been vetoed by Russia, is it, or is it eight? Eight vetoed by Russia, seven vetoed by Russia and China uh, to do something about the situation in Syria. It's all uphill from here. We we have all our work cut out for us, no matter what happens. Uh, let me let me ask this question because we we know, as you say, Assad has used chemical weapons. We do know that. ISIS has used mustard gas, uh, that there are some nasty elements uh, among some of these groups fighting Assad. What do we know, Terry, about what happened this week? Well, what we know is that, you know, we have all the evidence that we have from witnesses on the ground to credible third parties like USM, uh, like uh, Amnesty International, um, uh, uh, UNICEF. Yeah. Uh, that um, there was uh, an event. We we know uh, from the the joint investigative me- mechanism that was struck under the article of the UN Security Council resolution following the initial attack that killed 1,429 innocent Syrians in eastern Ghouta that uh, Assad does this kind of thing. This is what he does. We know that there have been 149 instances in which he has used chemical weapons against his own people. So what makes this different is, oh boy, it looks like it was a nerve agent this time. Uh, That's basically the only difference. Um, You know, a lot of people say, well, wait, I don't get it. Uh, He's been killing all these people, half a million people are dead. Now we have maybe 100 people who have been killed by chemical weapons. What difference does it make? The difference it makes, I think, there's two things. It's kind of a perfect storm. The use of chemical weapons has been an international taboo of the civilized world since the 1890s, the 1925 convention, another convention in 1947. Throughout the Second World War, chemical weapons weren't used in the battlefield for all the horrors of the Second World War. Uh, And you have the highest authority, uh, the highest sort of decision-making body uh, um, among human beings on the planet, the United Nations Security Council, with a specific mandate to prevent this sort of thing, this specific kind of thing from being carried out. Um, and it's been hijacked. It's been hijacked by Russia and China, and it's uh, it, it's been hobbled and emasculated. It's mobbed up. So now you got this kind of crazy American president who watches this stuff on TV, can't believe what he's seeing, and he's reacting like a mammal rather than like a reptile. That's basically the way I read this. Um, and, you know, I... I I have spent too much time 
you know, in refugee camps in uh, in in Jordan, uh, with Yazidis on the back roads of northern Iraq, with the Kurdish resistance in northern Syria, to say, I can I simply cannot say that I am uh, anything but happy right. that something might be at last done to remove this wickedness and. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, sure, there's going to be Arar al-Sham, there'll be Jabhat of uh, Fatah al-Sham, there'll be all of these crazies out there, um, and the, the, but you know what, there already is. We always say, well, you know, it'd be terrible if weapons of mass destruction fell into the wrong hands. They've been in the wrong hands for the last six years. No, we don't want Syria to be run by terrorists. Syria has been run by a terrorist for the last six years. Right. The, the other so, argument, Terry, let me ask you this, because it's often argued that why, why would Assad want to bring pressure on himself like this by, by doing it? But what, what message is he sending to the Syrian people by acting as he does? Well, the message he's sending to the Syrian people is the same message that he's been sending to the Syrian people from the day one, from day one, which is you have no idea the depths of my depravity. I will do anything I will stoop to any wickedness and evil. Whether he was deliberately sending a message to the international community is the interesting question. It could, by the way, have been simply an overzealous uh, helicopter regiment. Uh, it might not have occurred with Assad's direct knowledge. Um, if there was a message that had to be sent from an Assadist point of view, it was to a meeting of uh, 70 United Nations member states in Brussels um, yesterday. They were meeting to discuss, Monday and Tuesday, they were meeting to discuss um, humanitarian aid efforts uh, and not just uh, getting UN member states to live up to their pledges to Syrian refugees, but about it, the, the big and the thornier question was how do we get humanitarian aid to the 13 million people within Syria itself still who have not been so lucky as to escape? Uh, how do we get it to them? How do we get it through these checkpoints? Um, Assad has starved his people to death. Uh, he's uh, engaged, according to the United Nations, in a campaign of extermination of all his political opponents. Tens of thousands of people have died in his dungeons. Um, and so we can't get food, we can't get medicine, we can't get infant formula uh, into entire cities and towns and districts and provinces throughout Syria. So. Assad, you know, you can, if there's a calculation to be made, if there's a message to be sent, it's Assad basically saying, just watch me. Just watch me. If you think you're going to come in here and start talking about humanitarian corridors or no-fly zones, you just watch me. So there's that. That's a possibility. But at the moment, um, and I make no apologies uh, about it, uh, I have a spring in my step. <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, we've had six years of the most ghastly foreign policy uh, from, the, from the White House. This foreign policy as a vanity project, um, 
All, all Obama was interested in was his nuclear deal with Iran, and he became hostage to it. He became hostage to his own vanity. Uh, the Ayatollahs, from the very beginning, were very clear to him, and in fact, uh, we now know that he was told uh, in meetings in Qatar, his officials were told by the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps, you mess with us in Syria, you mess with Bashar Assad, and you got no deal. You're, you're not going to have a nuclear deal. So essentially half a million Syrians have been made to die for Obama's nuclear deal with Iran. And so now we have this nutcase, Donald Trump, that's come along, and uh, it, it just might be, you never know, Rob, you never know that this crazy guy, you know, Mr. Pumpkinhead, might actually have uh, something more useful to offer the people of Syria. Right. Let, let me ask you that, though. Was, was Trump right about one thing when it comes to Obama's shame here, that Obama said there was a red line, it right. was crossed, and nothing was done? Did that embolden Assad? Oh, gosh, yes, it emboldened Assad. It's the reason why we lost Crimea. It emboldened Putin. It's the reason why he has proxy uh, fighters in Donbass. It's the reason why 10,000 people have died in Luhansk. It's because everybody was emboldened. Erdogan was emboldened. He's turning Turkey into a caliphate. Xi Jinping in Beijing was emboldened. Uh, Duterte in the Philippines was emboldened. Every thug... Every back alley gangster, every monstrosity inhabiting some tin pot presidential palace someplace looked at this and said, oh, the leader of the free world, the leader of the free world is going to allow this human toothbrush in Damascus to get away with, with, with chemical weapons being deployed against his own people. Lavrov comes along and says, hey, Barak, I can get you out of this fix. I'll take care of it for you. So he subcontracted the entire thing to the Russians from the very beginning. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Sure, Assad was emboldened by this. And it's curious because Trump is nobody to talk. Because at the time, Trump was, uh, was saying, you know, uh, no, we shouldn't go into Syria. Trump was right. given code pink's pink badge of courage. Trump's position was the same as to stop the war coalition's position. So he's nobody to talk. Uh, but here we are. And yeah. uh, by God, there's going to be a reckoning. And it's not going to be pretty no matter what happens. And we are all going to pay. Uh, it's going to be, a, you know, the, the international effort that's going to be required to put the, these things back together you know, to pick up the broken shards of that country, just Syria, never mind Yemen for a moment, mm -hmm. and the rest of the region. But sitting back and being clever and constructing one pretext and alibi and excuse after another for our unforgivable indifference to the sufferings of these people, we're going to pay for it. But my great hope is that uh, the first person to pay for it is going to be Bashar Assad. Let me just ask you this, just a couple minutes here, Terry, but the, the Russians this week suggesting, I mean, they're obviously defending Assad here, but suggesting their support for Assad is not unconditional. Is that a signal that, that even they might yeah, abandon this guy? Yeah, I think they've guy? been rattled. 
I think they've been rattled. I mean, the thing we've got to remember about Putin, Russia. I mean, Russia, are you kidding me? Its gross domestic product is smaller than Italy. They're, these people know, you know, they got nuclear weapons. Big deal. Okay, I'll say it out loud. <laughs> Big deal. And they've been rattled. They've been rattled. You know, the one Trump card, there you go, Trump card, that Trump has yet to play is to say something uncharitable about Vladimir Putin. He's never done it. No, it hasn't happened yet. So here we go, you know. I mean, now, and he's got, uh, I, I think he's been blindsided by the degree of uh, Kremlin malfeasance and uh, mischief in uh, his own administration, among his own advisors, um, his own inner circle, and the election campaign. I mean, he's not a fool. He's not that much of a fool anyway. Uh, and he, who knows? Maybe he's really, really mad. Maybe the pennies finally dropped that uh, in Trump's head, that he understands that he's being played for a chump. But it's, uh, you know, it, it could well be, if you, you know, read, read Rex Tillerson's lips. He's putting together an international coalition, and they're going to do something really big in Syria, and they're really, really mad at Assad. Yeah. You know, it's pretty primitive. You know, you don't need a degree in international relations to figure this stuff out. Watch a few episodes of The Sopranos. <laughs> You'll get it. <laughs> no kidding. Terry, always great having you on. Thanks for the insight, okay, as always. Take care. Bye. Terry Glavin, the author, journalist. You can find his piece today at uh, OttawaCitizen.com. Uh, on the uh, this attack and the aftermath, it's, uh, it's quite something. Listen, we got to take a break here. We are back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.